Welcome back. Morning, Glory America. It is the last radio hour of the week, the day after Thanksgiving 2017. I'm joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. You heard me talking with him for three hours yesterday, but that was the miracle of audio tape. Talking about Winston Churchill for three hours uh, from our many hours of conversation about Churchill to mark the opening of Darkest Hour, which I hope all of you are seeing this weekend. It was Churchill Thanksgiving, Dr. Arn, yesterday. I think many people enjoyed that on their long morning drive to grandmother's house. I hope so. I hope so. So the uh, the movie's going to do great, I think, and I hope it does. I think I, I'm seeing Oscar buzz for Gary Oldman. And that, you know, I, I really, we've talked about it before. I hope it happens. But today on the day after Thanksgiving, I thought we would go back to something we skipped in our long course of Hillsdale Dialogues, all of which are collected at hugh4hillsdale.com. And all things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. I thought we would go back to the Mayflower Compact. We skipped that inexplicably, Larry Arn. Why do you think we skipped that the first time around? Uh, it got lost among the other great stuff. Uh, you should have just blamed the producer, Dwayne. That's actually the answer to everything. I haven't got the knack yet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not Dwayne's fault. So the Mayflower Compact is a 1620 agreement. It was actually a legal document. Tell people about what it is and why we care about it. And your description of it to me in an email just made me, made me laugh. Well, we were, we, were, we were corresponding with a devoted friend of, and a fan of Hugh Hewitt, and we got witty there for a minute. But, uh, so, first of all, understand that it's a, this is an instrument of government, and it's negotiated so that the, the leaders of the colony, and what that meant was all of the ones who were on the Mayflower, the ship, who were members of the church, who were moving to Virginia, they thought they were going to, to settle and practice their own faith by themselves, which was an early movement in colonial history and which didn't work out and which gave way eventually to freedom of religion. But they, but they and, and so only the ones who were members of the church, because one of the purposes of the colony was to practice that faith. But they all agreed, and they promised just and equal laws, and uh, that... That idea of compact was a thing deep written, deeply written in the uh, Judeo-Christian history, in the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith, and deeply written in the ideas of the time, eventually arising in the Declaration of Independence in the notion that you cannot be governed except by your consent. So this is an instrument of consent. Uh, it doesn't read as it would have read if James I, then the ruler of England, had written it. It doesn't read because James I wrote a book about this, it doesn't read, uh, I, William Bradford, the chief author and eventual leader of the Plymouth Colony, have been born and appointed by Almighty God to rule the rest of you. There's no thought of that there. We must all do this thing, and we must all sign, and we're not bound unless we do. Do you have it before the Can you care to read it? Oh, Please yeah. do. It's not very long. Um, in the name of God, amen. Uh, it's ele November 11, 1620 is when it was written. Um, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, isn't that a nice way to talk, Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King Defender of the Faith. Seems funny, that late, 1620, the King of England still ruled parts of, of France. Yeah. Uh, having undertaken for the glory of God in the advancement of the Christian faith, so purposes, right? The glory of God in the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country avoids to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Of course, they got lost. 
<laughs> and one of the reasons they wrote this document, by the way, is they had a charter from the King and from the Virginia Company, where settlements had just begun about uh, 15 years earlier. Uh, they, they had a charter for Virginia, but now they're somewhere else, and they don't quite know where they are. <laughs> so they think, we, this charter we've got is not going to work. We need to legalize ourselves. Uh, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves into a civil body politic. Now that, to them, in their minds, and to the minds of most Americans for the next 200 years, uh, that's a, a, a model of the covenant that establishes our relations with God, first in the covenant with Abraham, and remember, that's a, that, that, that we have a contract. The Jews had a contract with God, which Christians understand themselves to inherit through Jesus. And so uh, the, the Old Testament, which is, of course, a wonderful thing to read, is full of prophets and leaders appealing to this contract. We've got this thing, God. You said you'd do this, and we said we'd do this. And God replies, you didn't do your bit. And then they always reply, but we will. They're trying to reestablish the covenant. So this is, this is you know, if you just read the Bible, it's, it's like that. And it, it makes it, perfect sense, yes. And it marks out something unusual about both Judaism and Christianity. Uh, there's a kind of element of, of uh, voluntarism and therefore of freedom in these relations. For our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the, ear, of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof do enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinance, acts, constitutions, and officers from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. Now, it's interesting about that, you see, because we shall... Uh, constitute a frame, just and equal laws, ordinances, and acts. And don't you see that just like the Declaration of Independence establishes, a, 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 the Declaration of Independence goes much further. The Declaration of Independence establishes both a manner of government, that's government by consent, but also a structure of government. If you just read it all through, you'll see separation of powers and representation. What this means is we are going to do this, we're going to carry on, and we're going to do what we have to do to govern ourselves, and we're going to do it under this document to which we've all agreed, from which arises our duty of obedience, and the implication is we will all be represented in the doing of it. Yeah. So the whole, in, in this little one paragraph, I've read all except the, the, the bits at the, at the end where they make it official, just like at the end of the Declaration of Independence. Um, uh, in, in this document is a sort of model of the establishment of government in the new world. And it's almost 400 years old. It's 1620. That's but right. But 400 years ago, and, and you know, they, they've got a lot of time on their hands, right? They're, they're smart guys, and, and the women are not um, uh, signed here, but they are obviously in the conversation with John Carver and William Bradford and Edward Winslow and Brewster and Allerton and Miles Standish and John Alden and the rest of them. They all sign their name on this, so this is obviously not a throwaway, right? They, they have spent hours, weeks, years... Uh, developing these thoughts, Larry Arn. Well, they've had a so they they spent a year 
so that you know so first of all i mean these these people who had fled from england uh, william bradford was from yorkshire which is way up in the north um they had spent a long time in quarrels with the government officers of james the first who was he wasn't the the james who was thrown out of the place he was a relatively mild ruler about religious uh, wars. And what that meant, though, was that you could be arrested for going to the wrong church, and some yep. of them were, and their property taken. So they fled to uh, to Holland, which was better on these grounds, but they didn't like it that their kids were not growing up, you know, as their families had always lived. They were in a new world, and they went looking. And so they started, they spent a year negotiating with high authorities in England, which had been persecuting them, about can we get a charter to go over there. Now, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which would eventually absorb Plymouth, uh, and about 70 years later, the Massachusetts Bay Colony was a kind of entrepreneurial activity with lots of Christians in it. This was primarily Christians with some others added by the finance company, the Merchant Adventurers, which gave them some money for their ship and for stores and for to get them get themselves planted, and they sent along a bunch of people who were skilled, who were workmen, carpenters, and people who could help you build a colony, and uh, and so the, the 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 rest of the group were not members of these people who referred to themselves, by the way, as saints and separatists. Mainly. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about saints and separatists. Tomorrow, by the way, on MSNBC, I'm interviewing Ken Follett from London about his new novel, A Column of Fire, which is all about Elizabeth I, Mary Queen of Scots, and by the way, James I, who, as you say, Larry Arn, was a mild ruler compared to Bloody Mary, then Elizabeth I, and indeed Mary Queen of Scots. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue on the day after Thanksgiving. We're talking about the Mayflower Compact of 1620, which John Quincy Adams, 140 years later, described as the only instance in human history of that positive original social compact. It's really the first instance. More when we return. Stay tuned. Portions of the Hugh Hewitt Show are brought to you in part by the Association of Mature American Citizens, AMAC. On the last radio hour of the week on this Black Friday, as they call the shopping frenzy that descends on the day after Thanksgiving, Dr. Larry Arn is not at the mall. He is with me, the president of Hillsdale College. Hillsdale.edu is where you find everything Hillsdale, including the right to subscribe for free to the magnificent speech digest in Primus. And you can do that at Hillsdale.edu. You can binge listen. To every one of our Hillsdale dialogues back to 2013 at Hugh4Hillsdale.com. We're talking about the Mayflower Compact. Uh, Dr. Larry Arn, I, I, I said before the break, tomorrow on MSNBC I'll be interviewing Ken Follett. He's written a new novel of the, the time around the, the death of uh, Henry VIII, the succession of Mary, uh, Bloody Mary, followed by the son, uh, followed by Elizabeth, followed by James I. And religious toleration was not to be, uh, it was not taken for granted because it didn't exist. That's These right. people, and, they're fleeing. And see, the, 
this beginning point of all this, because this is very early colonial history, English colonial history in America, and just think of the things they had to work out. They thought that they called themselves separatists, right? Because, and it's a kind of a peaceful attitude, right? We have heard of a land that is so big that nobody knows how big it is, right? And it's actually true that nobody on the East Coast of America learned how big it was until after the American Revolution in the first decade of the 19th century, right? It was, so it's so big that we can go over there and just live by ourselves. And that, and you see, that's, that's a, that's a excellent impulse, right? All of these people are messing with us and making us worship in ways we don't want, and we want to, don't want to do that to anybody else, so we're going to go off by ourselves. And what the, the, the colonial history to come, uh, you know, it, it leads to the creation of, of Connecticut, the first place where religious freedom was established, because in Massachusetts and in, eventually in Virginia, they found that although the, the, uh, the, new, the new world was, practically speaking, infinite in size, they didn't know how big it was, it still wasn't big enough. Because every time they would get together and form a little colony and try to enforce their particular thing, they would fight and people would leave. And, and they or would they would be exiled, right? They, they threw, right. Some, they threw some people out. <laughs> and see, these pilgrims, they came to be called pilgrims because of Bradford's journal. Uh, these, these, cause he mentioned that they were all, everybody on the ship, he said, was a pilgrim. And that means included not, not just these 41 who were the males in the separatist group, but the, the rest who were along to help them. And the trouble was they had to bring a bunch of people who were not, not of this with them, and what about them? And so it's, just an, it's, a, it's a fabulous story about colonial history, how the principles of freedom as they came to their culmination in the founding era in a written worked document out by experience for a long in- time. In a constitution, and, and a, a minute to break, Dr. Arne, it's a written document. The British Constitution was never written down. And so our constitution is really the first written government prescribing constitution. But this is the first written compact, the Mayflower Compact. And it is in our DNA whether or not the left wants to admit it. It's about being left alone. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, and just remember that, that these doctrines, this covenant with God... That's a different kind of relation with God that was imagined in the ancient world. And, and, but Judaism is in the ancient world, and it imagined it differently. But then the second thing is, it means that you, each one of you, and that means man, woman, and child, has a pact with God, and you will be reunited with him in eternity, and that means you have your own duties to him, and you are responsible for them. And that gives rise to the idea of your rights and the limits on the government not to interfere with your practice of them. When we come back from break, more on the Mayflower Compact this Thanksgiving. As you drive around in the parking lot, you may want to go into that mall aware that uh, 400 years ago, 1620, so it's 397 years ago, some very brave people went a very long way to make sure you could go to the mall today and say a prayer of thanksgiving for them. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. I'll be right back. 
Portions of the Hugh Hewitt Show brought to you by Sierra Pacific Mortgage. For more info, call 888-1172. Welcome back, America. Sue Hewitt. Talking with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. Hillsdale.edu is everything Hillsdale collected in one place, including amazing online courses, which this Thanksgiving weekend you might want to get smart about the Constitution that protects your ability to give thanks and religious freedom that you should treasure. You can also find all the conversations I've had with Larry Arn and his colleagues at Hillsdale at Hugh4Hillsdale.com. We're talking today in the tradition of this series about the Mayflower Compact, uh, penned in 1620 by the pilgrims as they settled into Massachusetts. It reads, In the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland King, defender of the faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents, solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid and by virtue hereof to enact constitute and frame such just and equal laws ordinance acts constitutions and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience in witness whereof we have hereunder subscribed our names at Cape Cod the 11th of November in the year of the reign of our sovereign Lord King James of England, France and Ireland, the 18th end of Scotland, the 54th, Anno Domini, 1620. Larry, aren't that is so elegant? I could just read it again and again. You know, it doesn't take a lot to get a lot done. So, and think, you know, because to read history, you have to sort of put yourself in their place and think that they're people just like you. And these high things that they write here, it's important to remember what rugged people they were. So in the Wall Street Journal tomorrow, I urge everybody, in, there's, a, there's always a version of it not behind their paywall. They always print two articles every year since 1961 on Thanksgiving Day. And the first of the two is from uh, Morton, who was the journalist for the Plymouth, Plymouth colonists. And here's what he, how he describes what they saw. Besides, what could they see but a hideous and desolate wilderness full of wild beasts and wild men, and what multitudes of them there, there were they knew not? For whichsoever way they turned their eyes, save upward to heaven, they could have but little solace or content in respect of any outward object. For the summer being ended, all things stand in appearance with a weather-beaten face, and the whole country, full of woods and thickets, represented a wild and savage hue." Huh. Looking at that, you see, by the way, everybody should read that. It's one of the great journalist institutions in America. Also on Christmas Day, they always print something very beautiful in the Wall Street Journal. But this thing, you see, and they, they say they look behind them and nothing but a mighty ocean, which two of them, remember, had died crossing. There's nowhere to go. And so they write this beautiful thing and subscribe to it, appealing to God 
addressing God as his children, possessing their rights from him. You know, it is Ignatian spiritual exercises uh, that the Jesuits follow that say, when you read scripture, enter into the scripture, pick a person in the story and try and assume the point of view of that person. If you really want to understand, for example, Jesus giving the parable of the talents, pick the servant who's going to get thrown into the outer darkness and or pick someone like that. So if we try and enter into William Bradford, who wrote of Plymouth Plantation, or you try and be Miles Standish or John Alden, I mean, you're screwed. You're, I've been to Cape Cod. You don't want to be there in the winter. You don't want to be there with, you know, a hundred people. It, it's it's so daunting, Larry, that this country rose up out of that beginning. And it all arises from an unwillingness to pray as they were ordered up in Yorkshire. <laughs> Let, let's go there, because uh, this week I had on the uh, attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom who will be argu- arguing Masterpiece Cake Shop. And it is, it is meet and proper, to quote from the compact, that we talk about Jack Phillips, whose cake shop in Colorado is under heavy sanction. And he's being obliged to report every cake that he decorates to the Colorado Human Rights Commission because he refused to decorate one, Larry, for a same-sex couple. Uh, now, Jack Phillips, I've met. I know him. I know his counsel. I know the Alliance Defending Freedom. In the past, he has consistently refused, for example, to put alcohol in cakes, to do Halloween cakes, to make cakes with any message to which he did not subscribe. And the Colorado Human Rights Commission has put him under an order to report every cake that he decorates uh, and has fined him. It is, it's actually remarkable that this is a case, but it's to the Supreme Court in December. That's it. And think, just think what that means, right? It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a big old country, but not big enough if all of us are ordered to violate our convictions, especially about God. And they had these, these colonists, and think, I mean, I think these are heroic people, by the way. Of course, and, yes. And they, but, but later, they're, they're, those who followed them would come to understand that one of the things you have to have to have free government is leave people alone. And this man, he's just decorating cakes, right? And, uh, Lots of people decorate cakes, and you can go get one somewhere else if you want to. But that and that that kind of order, see, and that's that's that, that, that's a brand of a thing that on which freedom of speech was uh, uh, worked out in England, because what they would do, what makes it convenient to the crown or to the authorities, is what you call licensing. That is to say. You have to do what we say and subscribe to do it in advance, and or you can't start. And then you have to report everything. And then whenever it pleases us and it otherwise no trouble to us, we can take issue with what you're doing. And I want to connect Jack Phillips, the masterpiece cake shop baker and artist, back to these pilgrims because they would not bend the knee. That That is, to me... The, the what's the electric court of mystery that that Lincoln referred to that takes us back to 1620 right up to 2017. These were religious dissenters from the orthodoxy of their time with which they could not submit because of their reading of scripture. So they left and they asked to be left alone and the state did not follow them for 400 years, but now it has in their, in their contract that they had leaving England with James the first, it's an interesting thing. He wouldn't let them practice their religion within the bounds of England, which was bad, but he would let them do it over here, and he only demanded the thing that it's right for the state to, to demand, and that is 
they had to conduct, they had to agree, even in the wilderness, they had to agree to conduct themselves peaceably with other subjects of the crown. And, and so, they recognized his authority at the that, beginning and right. at the end. They were happy to agree to molest no one else. Yeah. Uh, so now, as now, not Larry, to be molested themselves. I want to make sure that we treat one line in here. Therefore, we constitute and frame such just and equal laws, ordinance, acts, constitution, and offices. Equality is a word much abused. And I think we probably spent more time than anything else talking about what it means for all men to be created equal and by their creator endowed with certain inalienable rights. But here, what do they mean by that? Just and equal laws. Well, that, you know, so the women question came up in passing, right? And the women don't sign this compact. And you have to understand how that plays out in the founding of America, too. First of all, in New Jersey in the 18th century, women voted for a long time. And then that was repeated. I didn't know that. It's true, yeah. And, and that was repealed, and not with great controversy. And the, here's why. Uh, and see, I'm, you know, I mean, we, we, we're at the hallmark of Hillsdale College, and one of them is we've always taken men and women, black and white, all colors, all alike, right? And that's because women think just like men, except, you know, on the average, a bit better. A bit better. <laughs> there you a, go. Lot, a lot and, better, actually. And, and, but, but there is the fact of the family. Right, we organize ourselves in families, and we come to be through families. And we take a long time to raise we human beings, and it takes families to do it best. And that is the cradle of freedom. So a lot of these arrangements, you have to remember, are arrangements where where they were to vote as families, and the men who were the ones who went out among others the most would cast the vote. And all you got to do is read the writings and diaries of Abigail Adams, for example, to see that there were women, many, and including on this ship, the Mayflower, who were very influential people, all with their husbands, but also, in addition, in the colony. And uh, that, you know, in my family, I decide what's important, the important things. My wife decides the unimportant things, and she decides which switch. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> That is perfectly put. Uh, let me let me read to you what John Quincy Adams said about the Mayflower Compact. Quote, the only instance, he was writing this in 1802, by the way. It's long after the Declaration, long after the Constitution. He's the sixth president. The only instance in human history of that positive, original social compact. He's writing it before Rousseau, right? What, yeah. what, do, you, what do you think he means by that? Well, that's, you know, because just, just think of the, Think of the nature of the opportunity here, which I argue is unprecedented and also cannot be repeated. Uh, the, uh, the, the settlement of North America was a movement of a civilization where the people who went really carried the chief governing authority with themselves. And they took whole families, which is the kernel of entire societies. They were called plantations because they were going to grow, you see. And, and, and they brought the principles of free government with them. And then they got to uh, settle in a new world, and nobody knew what was there. But they got to start over in a way, and yet bringing a lot with them, mostly in principle and in books. And so that, that chance to go again, and, and everybody's starting out equal, right? There's no aristocrats on this 
vote, although there's something like that in the ones who are actually members of the church. They're the only ones who signed this. But even that, soon enough, had to be discarded. We'll talk about that after the break. Go nowhere, America. Last segment of the week coming right up. Welcome back, American. I hope you're having a great day after Thanksgiving. If you're trapped in the Black Friday shopping frenzy, uh, Dr. Larry Arn and I are working out a Hillsdale dialogue, especially for you this 2017, uh, through the tweets and all the angst of the last year. And if you missed it, my interview with Secretary Clinton on Wednesday is over at HughHewitt.com, as is this Hillsdale dialogue. We're talking about something that happened in 1620, the Mayflower Compact. Not yesterday's news, not today's news, but something that happened in 1620, because it is today's news. Larry, when we went to break, you were saying that very quickly, those who signed the Mayflower Compact had to make common purpose and cause with those who did not, who had not come along as part of the colony. Sort of the the hidden driver of American history is that all must be included or none can be. That's it. And, And the reason is because we're the same kind of thing. And if you think through, you know, these, these, uh, you know, on earth we are presented with cross purposes right so we we are all equal children of god and we've all got our bodies and we've all got to take care of them because we all get hungry and starve if we don't and so there is this equality that we're all the same kind of thing and yet we are divided by our by our by our sex by our uh religion by our faith and the only way we can live together is if we make the basis of our society our common humanity. And then that drives us to be friends with each other because we all need the same protection from government. And that, so that, you know, that gave rise to the United States of America, which is one of the greatest things that ever happened. And as we close out, uh, as we begin the holiday season, you and I have been talking about fundamental things are afoot in this country. I think a lot of the answers to why the regulatory state has ticked off so many people. A lot of the hidden keys that, that are right in front of us to understanding what is going on has to do with this compact and this original act behind the compact of running away from a government that will not leave you alone. And that, you know, and, you know, and just remember, it's one of the great strains of, uh, of people who think about American exceptionalism. And America is exceptional it's different right it's it's great in my opinion but everybody has to admit it's different it started differently than anything ever did but then that gives rise to another thing if you lose this where are you going to go where, where is go? the new new world right and, 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 I, and i want to underscore as well just leave people alone all these this volcano of sexual harassment cases do you know they all would have been avoided if people would just leave people alone yeah. It's just it is it is really a great hallmark of freedom to respect and it's in the Mayflower Compact to respect that part about not bothering your neighbors, just living alone and to your own purposes be true. And it's kind of easy to do. I'm sure at Hillsdale College you find a lot of disciplinary issues would have never arisen had someone simply turned the other way or walked a different way or or just chose That's not right. to argue. You know, in a college, in a close world, and communities can be like like a college, right? They can. The point is, uh, friendship is greater than justice, and so 
in, in the course of leaving people alone, you should love them. And in a college, you know, we just had Thanksgiving dinner, and my message was, because uh, we don't like to parade our specialness and tell each other how great we are. We only tell that to the outside world. But uh, I said to them, you know, just remember, this thing we have here, it's lovely. Just about everybody loves it. It's very successful. That's a privilege. And I said, everybody look across the table at everybody with you. You are obliged to love them and help them learn, and they you. You see, that's what overcomes... You know, I mean, you know, alas, Hillsdale College has boys in it, you know, and they <laughs> act like boys. And and they don't go too far, though, because they signed the code, and they've accepted the responsibilities, and they straighten right up when they're reminded of them. And you know girls uh, do that, too, sometimes. And they often do the reminding. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Larry Arn, uh, what, what is the tradition there? Do you have everyone into the dining hall at the same time? Beautiful dining hall. I'm only invited there in January, so it's always cold. But, uh, but yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. You get them all together? Yeah, we do. On uh, the uh, Sunday night before Thanksgiving, because we leave. You know, they're gone now. Um, uh, we leave on, on uh, really, we leave on Tuesday night. We don't have classes on Wednesday, so you get Wednesday through Sunday. And that's, by the way, isn't that a great holiday, yes. Thanksgiving? Because you're not rushing around shopping unless you do it on Black Friday today. But, uh, you, you know, the obligations to perform things are fewer around Thanksgiving. And you can relax and be grateful. And so we have a gratitude dinner on Sunday night. Well, at the risk of inflating an already too large ego, I've got to say I'm thankful for you and for the Hillsdale Dialogue. And my audience often says that of the many things they love about the show, and they are many, including Dwayne and Adam and long-suffering members of the staff far and wide, they love this hour, and I love your doing it. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you, Dr. Arn, and, and we'll talk next Friday. Meanwhile, I'll go see The Darkest Hour, as I want everyone to do. And join me tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. as I review on MSNBC my interview with Hillary Clinton from Wednesday. And I'll be back on Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.